Hi, welcome to Two Moms on the Couch. I'm Dr. Dana Dorfman. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City. I'm Amy Veltman. I'm a stand-up comic married to a psychiatrist, which I like to think is very similar to being a psychotherapist in New York City. Every week we cover a different issue and Dana shares her expertise on the topic with three useful strategies that you can use to approach the issue in an emotionally healthy way. Today our topic is late bloomers. What do we mean by late bloomers, Dana? What do we mean by late bloomers? Well, we both consider <laughs> Let's just keep asking each <laughs> <Right>. other that. <laughs> we both consider ourselves late bloomers that we're still at this stage of life, we're both a little bit over 50, that we're still kind of starting up, that we're still emerging and growing and evolving and blooming. Yeah, and that there's still potential left to milk. Even I hope though so. milk is kind of a gross word for it. <laughs> but, but that we haven't squeezed all the potential out of who we are and what we're capable of. Yes. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, that we haven't fully realized all that we want and all that we feel like we can do and all that we can accomplish. I don't know. For me, I guess that manifests in still trying new things like doing stand-up. I only started doing that two years ago. And how does that manifest for you being a late bloomer? Like, do you just feel like, oh, it's all out there still, or are there concrete steps you're taking to, quote, bloom differently? I think there definitely are. I have been a psychotherapist for almost 30 years. I went to graduate school, as I said, right out of undergrad, I went immediately to graduate school, worked while going for my doctorate, and have been a therapist You know, since I've been 25 years old. I decided about four years ago, actually, which coincided with my daughter beginning high school, I started writing a book. And I've been working on the book for the past four years, and I've really immersed myself in learning about branding and marketing and podcasting and writing and writing to sell and pitching a book and the world of publishing and social media, I've learned like a whole new like skill set, like a whole new career on top of your career, basically. It has been like taking on a new career simultaneously, but it certainly is something that is completely new to me. So why do you think that when your daughter started high school, that that was the time when you said, oh my gosh, I have to do this? It became increasingly evident to me that she was really coming into her own and she was becoming her own person and that she was really evolving into an adult. And I felt like I really wanted to be able to mother her and I don't think that it was a competitive thing per se, but I did feel like she was learning all of these things that I didn't know about and that I wanted to still be able to accomplish and also be a a role model for her. I wanted to keep growing. I think I was also feeling a little bit like I needed some new energy in my practice that I wanted to shake things up a little bit. And so I think it became evident to me that she was blossoming and I thought, I have a lot more blossoming to do too. And if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. I was approaching 50 at that point, And I think that my life perspective was a little bit different. 
And just one other thing, too, which I think was an influencing factor, was that my husband had been in financial services. He's an employment lawyer. And with the financial crisis that happened in 2008, a lot of things got shaken up. And he ended up needing to kind of change his professional trajectory. And it has been a real evolving, growing experience for him. And he went back to practicing law, which I think he really likes integrating in all of these other professional experiences that he's had. But he also was kind of launching something new around that time as well. And I think that sort of together we were thinking, okay, we can both start new chapters now. We're starting a new chapter in parenthood and professionally we're going to start new chapters. I think some of it felt inspirational and some of it felt desperate. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? What do you think? I don't don't know. I mean, when I think about this, I think that I, for better and definitely for worse, have always had this mentality of, oh, I can just reinvent myself. And some of it, just like you, is from necessity or desire. And some of it is from desperation. Like after college, I spent several years trying to figure out what I wanted to do and then landed on, I wanted to be a filmmaker and went to grad school in filmmaking and was working as a writer. And then my husband, who was also in the film business said, oh, I want to be a psychiatrist, which was quite shocking. And so then I made this pivot with him. You know, when he went back to school, I could have maybe stayed in film, but I was working as a writer and you you go from gig to gig to gig. Mm -hmm. And because we had a kid, I wanted something secure for us. And so then I moved to Portland. So, you know, it was partially the continual moving of places, but also once we had kids, I needed to do different things. Like at the beginning when he was doing pre-med, I needed a job for us where we had health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so I went into marketing in Portland. You know, when he got insurance through his job, I got some more freedom and ended up in this consulting job, which I never would have imagined for myself, Mm -hmm. but it kind of blended all the experiences I'd had up into that point. Uh, And that was great. And then we moved to New York for his training. And I I guess just with the moves and uh, circumstances changing, I just have been doing reinvention all along Mm -hmm. in a way. But I guess there is something about this age where you're like, oh, shoot, it's not an infinite amount of time to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to do something to a certain level, I do feel like I'm pushing myself a little bit more and not feeling like, oh, you have infinite Mm do-overs. Like there, there is definitely a finite number of paths now. You know, I don't have those moments anymore. Like, "Hmm, maybe I should be a doctor too. (laughs) Or, you know, which is, there's certain things that are done. Yeah. Certain ships have sailed, but you sometimes is sad. Very. Although I think there's also something comforting about that. Sometimes I think that there is like um, something overwhelming about having like this vast landscape before you and not real. It's like when you have too much time in a day, and you're not really sure what to do, but if you have a finite amount of time. Or like going to Cheesecake Factory <laughs> to decide what to eat. 
a little bit like that, or just having like an open weekend, for example, right, and not right. having any structure to it, that there's something kind of comforting about there being some kind of like that. Right, like I only have three hours to nag the kids about their homework because we have stuff going on versus like, oh, when all am I going to nag them? Right, right. And then we nothing happens. Day. Yeah, then, there's, right. it's like the deadline, like yeah. working with the deadline. So valuable. When did this you- is quite a deadline. <laughs> the big deadline. <laughs> Where does this fit in? Like you have this vast uh, array of people that you see professionally and this background with the literature on this idea of, quote, midlife, midlife crisis, you know, where, where we are in our trajectories right now. Is what's happening to us normal? <laughs> it is normal. We're kind of looking at everything and I, being like, what's going on here? It is so comforting, I think, actually. When I when there are so many different things that you and I talk about just in the course of our lives, what is our purpose? What will our kids think of us? Are our parents going to be okay? And I think that it is so comforting to see that there are frameworks that exist or theoretical frameworks that exist that actually define like the tasks of certain stages of development and what some of the competing forces are. There actually was a theorist uh, named Eric Erickson, who was a disciple of Anna Freud, who is Freud's daughter. And, um, and he had, he had defined eight life stage crises from infancy to older adulthood or to death, essentially, and compared the biological and the societal forces that created a crisis at each stage. And at the end of each crisis, you sort of reconcile or you come to develop certain virtues as a result of that stage. Like you start off with like the first one is trust versus mistrust. And so ideally you want the child or the infant to emerge from infancy and go into toddlerhood with a sense of trust that the world is a trusting place, that people will respond to me, that it is safe and I can trust the world around me. And if mistrust kind of wins over, then that becomes like an impediment throughout development. From, you don't want to grow up in like an orphanage where nobody touches you or answers your cries, for yes. example, because that's that's a bad template. It, it absolutely yeah. is. And okay. then you and then so the way that you've reconciled those two competing forces that is that actually you perceive the world to be kind of a, a not trusting place and sometimes even question your own trustworthiness. And in looking at those stages, the stage where we are, which is like roughly between ages like 40 to 59, about 40 to 60, is called generativity versus stagnation. Mm. And that a part of this stage of life is actually beginning to give back to the world or wanting to set the stage for the next generation. It's oftentimes a stage where we'll be a role model or we can be a mentor to somebody professionally, and also that we're preparing our kids to go into the world and be productive members of society. There's also sort of a pull towards stagnation as well, that, you know, there are many times in this stage of life that it can feel a little mundane and redundant, and you've you've kind of, you have your, your life partner, and you've created some kind of roots in where you're living, and that it can feel a little bit like, is that all there is? Yeah. yeah. 
And I think that can also prompt some of like a midlife crisis as well. I think that's cool. I mean, I think that it makes it a little more, if I'm doing that phase of life right, it makes it more difficult for me to be selfish, which I find problematic. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of like, should I keep going or should I just give up and stay in the lazy boy that I can see that tug Uh and wanting to make the keep going choice and generate and create and not have yes, up your and give. I mean, yeah, I, I, well, could it be that part of your generativity is also contributing to your kids that you're providing like wisdom and guidance to them? Yeah, I guess. I mean, no, I, if you're listening kids, yes, it is that I do know what I'm talking about. when <laughs> I, give you advice. I, I guess there's just a tension yes. between generating them and generating me that's always at play. I don't think it's something that you can just solve and be like, okay, there's the perfect balance. Right. Right. That they're always, you're always kind of juggling the two. And also there are so many ways in which those two influence each other Mm. as well too, that I would imagine that becoming a mother and raising two young women in this generation is also Evolving you as a person, which then contributes to your work as a comedian. Totally, totally. And also, I guess we should point out that in this stage, if it really goes all the way to 60, and given some people that they had kids earlier than we did, that it encompasses the empty nest time. Mm -hmm. If you have had kids that, you know, then you're you really do have a new beginning where you don't have kids. You don't, because my kids add a structure and rhythm to my day. One of them's out of town right now. And the whole morning felt different Uh because she wasn't there. And imagine that times two, like, Oh, now what do I do? You know, I, I do think there's this moment if you've had kids and then they leave where you're like, oh, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? Yes. Because kids impose that on you whether you want them to or not. Yes. And they give you a sense of purpose. And I think that that is an integral part of this stage of life. They're kind of the hallmark existential question at this stage is, what is my purpose? You and I talk about it a lot. Why Why are we here trying to evaluate what our purpose is, leading a purposeful, meaningful life? And I think that... It's comforting to me to see it in writing that this is what most people at our stage are trying to figure out, that this is really like a natural evolution of what comes into play. We're totally normal and yet extraordinary. Uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) Just like you, listener. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it also amazes me because we have teenagers. I see so many parallels between where we are in life and where they are in life. Do you ever think about that? I do still get zits sometimes. (laughs) Well, like, what do do you mean? Well, I still feel massively insecure and don't know what to do with my hands at a party. So, yeah. So, like that, Amy. We should start (laughs) vaping. Or jeweling. Yeah. But if you think about even, like, all, all that we're not in control of, even how much our bodies are changing, as their bodies are changing Mm. and there are so many hormonal shifts our bodies are changing and there are many hormonal shifts too. And even our metabolism starts to slow down and 
Um, and the way a lot of women say at our age, like, I don't even recognize my body anymore. And I would imagine my daughter just had her senior prom and there were so many young women there who I knew as kindergartners who I haven't seen that much. I saw the pictures. They did not look like kindergartners. Oh my God. And to see how they kind of, their bodies have changed. They are really coming into their own and they too are defining themselves. And I think that we do that as well. Or I find myself figuring out, is this what I believe? Is that what I believe? What is going to be my place in the world? And who am I? Am I who I thought that I have been all this time? I keep kind of discovering parts of myself that I didn't know exist. I'm often inspired by patients too. I have many patients or I have seen many patients over the years who are in like later stages of life, 70s, 80s, which is totally cool. But I see even they are beginning to discover parts of themselves, like with the loss of a spouse or a shift in their family configuration, that they realize that they have attributes and skills that they didn't even know that they had or um, have never seen themselves in a certain way. That's so cool. That is very inspiring. Yes. Yeah. That we can keep discovering things in ourselves and that we can keep growing and evolving, like if we want to. As you are talking about this parallel with the teenagers, it's interesting because it's almost like they're blooming into these beautiful irises and the bloom that we're doing is like more of a sag to root vegetables or something, you know, like my my rutabaga 50s or I don't know, it just... I wonder, is there anything about that? Like, I I feel like they're blossoming into peak relevance. Mm -hmm. And is it desperate of us to want to stay relevant or is there loss involved? What's happening psychologically for us as we... Become rutabagas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually what the stage is called. Eric Erickson (laughs) wrote about the rutabaga face. The weeds. (laughs) no matter what stage of life you're in, there is always loss and gain, which may sound trite, but I think that oftentimes because loss is the more painful element of it, we either focus on it a lot. I mean, we all know people who feel like aging is all about loss. You lose your beauty, you lose your youth, you lose your brain, you know, your mind. And then there are many gains that come with every stage as well. And I think that being able to acknowledge both of them is really helpful. I think that if we're in denial about the loss, then we're going to continue dressing like we're 15 years old. And so we need to realize that we have, you know, our bodies are different. We are of a different generation, unless you want to try to look 15. And then there's also a lot of gain. Like there is something... I think tremendously relieving about not having to worry. I am concerned about appearance, definitely. But I like that I don't have to feel like there's the potential for me to be looked at. I I guess there are times when I would like to be seen and I would like to be looked at or noticed, but... Just not be invisible. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as a matter of fact, it is too much to ask. No, I I get what you're saying, but there's that DGAF thing. Like, I don't care what people think as much. Uh Uh-huh. And you can look it up on Urban Dictionary. (laughs) Just put it together. Yeah. (laughs) There is that thing of thinking, like, 
this is it. Like that thing my dad said to me once when I was nervous about something where he was like, you're 50, aim. Like, <laughs> it, like what it is is what it uh-huh. is at this point. Like there's very few people unless you want to – plastic sculpt yourself or something where you're like, ta-da, here's the great reveal. <laughs> and so even though our our bodies may be going more rutabaga, there's something liberating. Is that what you're saying? That it's kind liberating? Of. I felt that there was the possibility for more judgment, that people would be looking at me and evaluating like if I was attractive or not. And I see it with younger people. And I feel like I can just be. Nobody's really doing a big evaluation. So I feel like I can be the evaluator. And maybe some of that is also just the natural evolution of like maturity. But I feel less pressure maybe. And I just have to please myself where before I felt like I needed to be attractive more for other people. I guess thinking about teenagers, (laughs) like the, you know, to us, it looks like, oh, they have their youth, they have everything ahead of them. But for them, it's also a loss of being taken care of as much. And, you know, with that freedom, now they're going to get more responsibility, even though they're going to have more relevance in society than they've had before. You know, there's something about that freedom that puts a lot on them. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And I guess it that is a great parallel with us because as they become more free, we become more free. And so we have to look at how we're living our lives and say, wait, is this the way I want to do it? Does this line up with my values and my intentions or am I on autopilot here? And so there's a reckoning that we're all doing at the same time. Absolutely. And I think even this idea of, are these my values? Were these my intentions? I see how much my values have changed even from when I had my daughter until now, I guess through life experiences and a lot of research and writing my book, And I think I feel almost rebellious, like I'm rebelling against my old self and sort of the scripts that I used to subscribe to that I don't anymore. I feel like I'm going to make a new definition for myself. It hasn't been that deliberate, but I do feel this liberation once again and being able to define new values according to this life experience that I've had thus far. And I think that that's a lot of what they're going through too, is this idea of like, okay, so I'm going to take all of this cumulative experience that I've had throughout my childhood, kind of weave it into who I think I am and who I ideally want to be. And then I'm going to try this out, try this on. I feel sorry for them, though, just because I'm imagining myself at that age. I didn't quite understand that that was what I was doing as I was doing it. Whereas now I feel like we have that 2020 hindsight. We can be more purposeful about it. Those choices of, you know, okay, how am I integrating what happened before? Like they're so up in it as teens that how can they be saying, how do I synthesize, Mm -hmm. you know, sophomore, junior, (laughs) and senior year and have a really purposeful freshman year? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there is that kind of, ah, do I look okay? Do I fit in? There's so much noise, really. And I was actually talking about that with, with my husband because he 
was, I think, in his early 30s when he went back to do the pre-med and the prep for medical school. And he had actually dipped his toe in the water of doing that in college and was just like, ah, this is too hardcore and crazy. Mm. And he had other interests, too, and that was a piece of it. But for him, there was so much noise in life about, you know, having fun and embracing New York and who am I and women and how do I figure that all Mm -hmm. out? And I think he had his first serious girlfriend for the second and third years of college and maybe more. And, you know, it just, there's so much stimulus Mm -hmm. at that time that it's hard to separate out what you're decisions are based on, you know, you're, you're reacting to hormones, you're reacting to party invitations, you're reacting to social stuff. And so he doesn't think, and I don't think either, because it was proven out that he would have had the focus and drive to be so intentional about wanting to be Mm -hmm. a doctor Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. There was just too much. And so... I don't know. It's cool being at this time when there are some of the options that have peeled away. Exactly. And so it really hones your focus in a different way. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was describing before about kind of the deadline in a way. Like you don't, you don't have time to obsess and things. You got to get it into action here and kick it into high gear. There are people who go through midlife, and I think that that's actually, that's what I mean by a late bloomer, that now I'm scrambling a little bit to ensure that I am realizing some of my dreams and trying to develop parts of myself with this kind of maturity and with the skills that I know that I already have that I absolutely did not have and didn't know if I could have when I was 20. So I feel like I'm one of those late bloomers who's who's mid-lifing, I don't know if that's a verb, in such a way that I'm in a little bit of a scramble. Like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. My husband sometimes says that I'm in overdrive, that I am like trying to make up for all the lost time that I feel like I wasted when I was young. And then I think that there are people in midlife who feel like I have many friends who are empty nesters now. Mm -hmm. And some of them have bought houses in Florida. They have really taken up golf. They do a lot more socializing and they have a life that seems more akin to my parents. And I feel like, oh, I'm just starting here. Like, I don't, I don't want to hang up my skates yet or the race isn't over for me. And not that they think that their race is over, but now they're going to enjoy things a little bit more. And I enjoy things, but I enjoy the, the fight still. Mm. I love that word fight. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I do feel like When I first had my kids and was feeling so much tug, just the idea that I had fight in me to want to keep writing, to want to keep doing something creative, to want to keep pushing myself, that idea, I find the word fight really energizing Mm -hmm. when you're talking about your own life Mm -hmm. and what you want. And you felt like a loyalty to your pre-mother self. Like, I I still owe it to you to try out these things and to continue to do these things. I'm not going to let motherhood overshadow. Yeah, because it's so weird, that idea that one day I was this person. And now, just because I had a painful popping out, like that I'm a different person. Like, no, I'm still me. And so that's, that's what it felt like, like fighting for 
the self. Mm-hmm. Do you see a difference? I mean, not everybody has a partner. Not everybody has children. Do you see any difference in this life phase with people who are single? Absolutely. I see many single people in their 30s and 40s, and I see them evolving also, that they develop stronger connections with people, even if it isn't necessarily one intimate partner, that there are like sort of stronger female friendships that I've seen develop in the 40s and 50s. And even professionally, that a lot of times there's mentorship that goes on or some of the patients that I've seen have also participated in other ways that they can contribute to the world, like, you know, being part of organizations that promote certain kinds of issues. So I think that absolutely, even if there isn't necessarily marriage and children involved, I think that interacting with the younger generation, nieces and nephews, does promote some kind of growth and development. And I think that oftentimes People in mid-adulthood who are not married or don't have long-term partners do find parts of themselves that they're surprised about, even as far as like children are concerned, that, you know, siblings, they still might not want children themselves, but that they realize that they do enjoy children so much more or that they appreciate time spent with a niece or nephew. Or Uh, maybe that they don't enjoy children (laughs) and they made a great choice and let's get a puppy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, another parallel that you mentioned earlier that we haven't really talked about yet between the teenagers phase and the phase we're having is a loss of parents. I mean, you know, our parents were fortunate that they're still alive, but we've both seen softenings of our parents, diminishments, maybe in the number of toes. <laughs> That's just my dad who chose to amputate one of his toes. Um, but, you know, he did it instead of having a long recovery period to fix a toe problem. He said, let's have a short recovery period and just get rid of it, mm-hmm. which in a way is kind of such a choice based on the time of life yep. because he's thinking, well, I'm 75 and I could spend six months, which is a pretty good chunk of time at this point in pain and recovering, or I could have nine toes and be very unique and special and, you know, just get back on with my life. I mean, I wonder if he would have made the same choice at 32. Uh I kind of doubt it. But anyway, we see other diminishments with our parents. I mean, I know my husband's mom reacts differently to situations than even five years ago Mm -hmm. in terms of how much she retains. And, you know, she's the sweet person she's always been, but, but she's, you know, different. And so our relationship with our parents is evolving and is at an inflection point very much in the same way that our teenagers are having that loss or change in the relationship. Yes, as far as separation even, that they're separating from us and kind of emerging as their own blossoming beings. And we are separating from our parents oftentimes through the loss of their skills or you know abilities their lives for some people, right? Like the big separation. The big separation. Also, though, one of the beauties of watching my parents age, I actually had gone to the ballet with my mother this weekend, and we 
have gone every year for Mother's Day since I've been a mother. And so, so sweet. it's a really enjoyable, pleasurable. I mean, I love the ballet and I enjoy the time with her. And I often compare from year to year how I felt, what the discussion is, because of course I have to overthink everything. If anything, I feel like she has gained more as she's gotten older, not weight, but she has, although she would say that she has, but I see that she has a much richer appreciation for the moment, for being present. I feel like she is less critical. She feels less attached to certain ways of being that she used to be much more kind of controlling about. Like as she's experiencing grandmotherhood, she'll say, well, they're not my kids. So if they make that choice, it might not be the choice that I would have made, but they're not my kids. And like the end. And the I, ability to let go. Absolutely. That too is really inspiring to me. And I've kind of watched her own evolution of herself. I do know that there will be loss along the way, but in some way I feel like I've lost the more difficult parts of the relationship. I'm letting go as well too of those resentments. And I think that in the same way as we're paralleling with adolescence, I see with my daughter, I think that my relationship with her has changed and that I have let go of certain things that I probably was trying to control more as she was younger. This whole episode is giving me a lot of hope. Yeah. Just I, that idea that we have to achieve this thing to be successful in our own eyes mm -hmm. before we shed this mortal coil or whatever. <laughs> but there's something very hopeful in this idea that your mom in her late 70s is evolving as a person mm -hmm. and that your relationship with her is evolving as a person and that it's not necessarily all about what you do or the products that mm -hmm. you leave behind, but it's just how you can be in the world mm -hmm. and that you can constantly evolve that and that that is generous and generative and cool and never ending mm -hmm. and, you know, not something that would get, quote, listed in an obituary or on a eulogy. I'm sorry if this is going so deathy, but, mm -hmm. but that those are real things that you have an impact with it's it's cool to know that you can keep going even when you stop quote producing and being a productive part of capitalist society mm -hmm. I see a lot of growth in people which is really exciting and you know how a lot of times people will say like oh well the brain stops developing it at 25 you've probably yeah, heard just that. that you're done you're cooking. done you're yeah you're fully baked which I just cannot accept. I, the brain actually, you can develop so many new neural pathways. And actually, the, the brain is so malleable that if you continue to stimulate it and expose it to new things, it can grow and shift and change, not just age. I feel like we're in this hopeful place right now thinking about, you know, middle age used to feel like the beginning of the end, but now it feels kind of like a beginning of a new beginning. If we had to take away three things about this idea of late blooming and not being done, what would you say we should keep in mind? The first thing is this idea that we can keep growing and evolving, that even if we have heard that our brains stop developing at 25 or that development stops in the early 20s, that there is so much development still to go, that there are so much 
growth and evolution that can happen. And if you want it to happen, you can make it happen. The second is this idea that with every stage of life, it is important to acknowledge both the losses and the gains. Just the idea of acknowledging the loss and acknowledging kind of all that lies ahead. And the last is what you were saying, we're normal, that to be gentle with yourself as you're feeling challenged by certain stages of life and maybe resenting some or finding yourself feeling regretful or remorseful, to also know that this is this is normal. It doesn't have to be any particular way, but to experience all of these different feelings about it is a normal part of being in this stage. You do have the ability to make things happen. That's a good one. Cause I could see, you know, as a, as a younger person, I would have imagined once I hit this age, I should have all the answers. I should have myself figured out. I should have my life figured out. And I would not have foreseen that it's an inflection point and an opportunity and all that. So it's good to know, I guess, from an external perspective that it's normal at this point to take stock and maybe rejigger priorities Mm -hmm. or just a sense of who you are and that there's a future to think about. There's a lot of research that indicates there is an uptick in eating disorders and alcoholism and drug abuse in midlife. Mm. So it can be hard to cope with and, and it may be a time that one can develop maladaptive ways of dealing with these challenges and so to find ways to deal. Right. And if you're having a really hard time too, I think there's nothing wrong with going to therapy. I've seen many people go to therapy for the first time in midlife. Mm. And sometimes people are afraid of that because they feel like, A, they don't want to know about all of the mistakes that they they have made. And also what you're describing, this idea that by now I should know who I am. I should know, I should have figured out how to cope with things. I shouldn't need the help of somebody else. But given that it is such a massive time of reevaluation and there is the idea that you can grow and learn and change, it seems like that would be a way to do that or to find a new way to go about doing it. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the two segments of this show. (laughs) No, you have to. This is where Dana and I recommend things that you have to (laughs) do, try, buy, consider, listen to. So, Dana, this week, what is your no? You have to. Do you journal? I have at certain points in my life. And how? I found it really awesome. And it is one of those things people have talked about for years. I mean, certainly we had diaries when we were younger. But that's just for writing, mom is a bitch, (laughs) (laughs) and then locking it. (laughs) Yeah. It has been recommended to me many times over the years, and as I've been writing and learning to write this book, that my writing mentor has recommended journaling for a very long time, and for some reason I've resisted it and have begun doing it. And so in the past month, I have been journaling with some regularity, just giving myself 20 minutes in my own head to just jot down nothing, no complete sentences, whatever's top of mind, all the different random thoughts that I have. And I have to say, it has been so gratifying for me that I feel this centeredness. I feel a little bit more connected to myself or maybe a little more 
centered or there's something about the act of writing and also the solidifying of thoughts or something that has been so helpful. And then when I've gone back and reread things that I've written, I see very identifiable themes and phrases that I have said many times, which I don't necessarily think I would access just by virtue of me thinking in the shower, rethinking in the shower, thinking on the subway, but actually writing them down. And so I know that this is unlike late to the game, but I totally recommend journaling. I think it's been so therapeutic. Well, mine is, it's a superficial one. It's Maybelline gel (laughs) eyeliner. I really love that. And I know that there's a more expensive, well-known brand whose gel eyeliner is very widely recommended. And so I bought it and it kept flaking in my eyes and really hurting my contacts. And then I was blinking all day and super uncomfortable. And so Maybelline gel eyeliner, it stays really well. It's waterproof. It doesn't come off it's not that hard to get off and it's just, I really like it. Mm. And I, I went away from it for a while and now I'm back and I'm, I'm really pleased. It's it looks simple. Great. It's I drugstore, it. but like, I don't worry about my eyeliner as much uh-huh. and it's just great to have one more worry off my plate. <laughs> <laughs> Feels so good. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Please rate us, review us on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. We're kind of on Twitter. I know I keep saying I'm going to be all tweety, but we're really on Instagram and Facebook and we'd love to hear from you. We're also at our website, twomomsonthecouch.com. We've got a Patreon and uh, we hope that you keep listening. Tune in, tell your friends. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.